Until he takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Soy Emanuel Reynoso y estamos escuchando Song of the Tunes. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast sorry the super sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined once again by cal williams happy earth day it's 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 earth day i didn't realize that until i flipped over my dad joke calendar uh and and saw an earth day themed joke you do you do you want to hear it oh yes um what what did the plant say when it woke up on earth day Ah, uh, go on. This will be the best day ever. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Um, That's, by the way, your face there, for, for those of, of you that are, are watching the live version, it was such <laughs> like a, you know that meme of the dog that's just like <laughs> waiting for, for the punchline to be yeah, executed? That was such a dad thing to do. That was absolutely, unreal. <laughs> absolutely. I, I actually preferred uh, Tuesdays, which was... Um, what's made of brass and sounds like Tom Jones? Uh, go on. Trombones. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, it's good stuff. Um, all right. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, I have a calendar of dad jokes. It's what my my family got me for Christmas or something. Uh, and it's actually, I'm like, oh, great. And then every time I read one, I'm like, all right, this is actually pretty funny. I'm enjoying this. So um, there's a lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Minnesota United, obviously. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some other MLS stuff. Um, I have some other things on the docket, but we have to start with the European Super League because it's just been the talk of soccer Twitter. And I started making these notes. <laughs> you know, like I started making these notes earlier in the week and I was like let's talk about what the impact of this is and then I had to be like well it didn't work so let's talk about what the fallout of this is it was just insanity I was just like what is what is going on in the world out there with this um my first note is just WTF on under European Super League so what was Cal what was your like go through your reactions over the last several days of this happening and then not happening and and what it all meant i'll try and give you the pg version because there were a lot of words uttered over the course of the last few days that wouldn't suit this podcast (laughs) um (laughs) um honestly steve it for me and i'm going to speak purely from a british standpoint now because i i don't feel as though i i can talk too much from a spanish or italian standpoint from a british point of view where six of our so-called super clubs <laughs> were going to, to leave the Premier League um, and, and, and head over to this 
European Super League. Although I, I, I did learn last night as well, Steve, that um, the E eventually was going to be dropped because they were going to expand away from Europe, apparently, which is going to be called the Super League. But never mind, it's not going to happen now. So, um, from a British point of view, Steve, it was a gargantuan middle finger to competition and more important from a British standpoint, tradition as well. Um, for those that are unaware, in England, we've got the English Football League, which was founded in 1880-something or 1870-something by, by a chap called William McGregor, uh, who was also one of the founding fathers of, of Aston Villa as well. Um, and the idea of it is you get promoted if you do well, you get relegated if you don't do so well. Um, and it's, it, it's all about competition. Um, then the Premier League came in in, in 1992, I believe, and, and sort of commercialised the sport. But by doing so, they added a huge amount of money, which was ultimately good for, for the English game because the English game did need some money at that stage. But the point is, is that it was always open. Promotion relegation was still always there. Um, the biggest, the, the two biggest issues that, that I know the British public had with this, Steve, number one was that it was a closed system, um, which, which will, will, will never work uh, in Europe. Um, it's always been open to promotion and relegation. Um, and the fact that, you know, as an Aston Villa fan, Steve, I yearn for the day that we lift the Champions League. I, I dream of the moment that we lift the Premier League trophy. Um, and, and I think with the fact that this would have been a closed system, um, none of that would have mattered because ultimately what we've been told is that, well, actually the Champions League and the Premier League and, and all you guys outside the top six or whatever, you actually don't matter. And that hurt a lot of people, the fact that um, my team, I can only, as I said, I can only speak from an Aston Villa point of view. We, we won the Champions League. It was back in 1982, but we still won it. Tottenham didn't win the Champions League, and yet they're in this, this so-called Super League. And I understand the reasons for that, but um, I, I found it utterly baffling. I found it to be a, um, a humongous betrayal of the... the, the the six teams in England that, that opted to do this. Um, and the, the, the biggest thing, Steve, more than anything, which I don't think people um, understood hugely uh, across um, the rest of the world, was that, as I mentioned earlier on, we've got this thing called the, the English Football League, the, the, the pyramids. And my biggest concern was apart from the fact that these teams would have got, I think it was something like 3.8 billion euros each to a year, by the way, to, to enter this thing. It's ridiculous money. And I, I understand the initial temptation, but um, ultimately I'm, I'm glad it's not, not going ahead. But um, the, the issue there, Steve, is that I think then competition just completely goes out the window because the suggestion was that these European Super League teams would then also compete domestically um, in, in their, their domestic leagues. If you've got Liverpool and, and Chelsea and Man United um, with that kind of spending power, competition goes out the window because Aston Villa and Leicester City and Everton can't compete with that and they never will be able to compete with that. Um, but going back to, to the other point that I was about to make, Steve, about the, the English Football League, the, the biggest concern I had was 
was the, the lower league teams that, that do sort of build up communities around them. Um, and and they're, they're the talk of the town, these small, you know, fourth division teams, League Two teams, League One teams, who are, you know, after COVID-19 are, are just hanging on by a thread in terms of, you know, existence. And, and we've already lost one or two of them. And that was my biggest concern because ultimately, because of the money coming into the Premier League, no doubt everything would have been devalued, which was a major reason why everybody was so ticked off with it. With it. And quite rightly so. You know, you've got um, the Premier League who sell their rights all over the world. And, and ultimately, without Manchester United, Liverpool and what have you, um, and the Champions League was the same as well, um, their product is devalued massively. But ultimately, in the Premier League, the likes of, of the teams that I've mentioned several times now, Financially, they would have still been okay because they've had a lot of money pumped into them over the course of the last few years because of, of those international TV deals um, and the revenue gathered from from simply being in the Premier League and being an international brand. Um, so ultimately, I think those Premier League teams would have been okay. My biggest concern, Steve, was the lower leagues and you know the these tiny teams that get you know three four thousand people a game. But those three or 4,000 people, it's what they live for. And, and the, the team is a part of their community. The football club in that, in that town does so much for that town. It brings in jobs. It, it, it puts on events. It, it, it acts as a COVID-19 station, you know, at the stadium. It, it's, I, I can't quite explain how much um, these League One, League Two, Championship and, and, and Conference teams, I can't explain how much they mean to to communities and small villages in England. Um, and in, in a, lot of, um, a lot of examples, Steve, it's the only reason these little towns exist is because of the football club. So it, it would have been catastrophic to, to a lot of lower league teams because um, the money from the Premier League, um, it, does, it does trickle down. Still not enough of it trickles down, in my opinion, but it does trickle down into the lower leagues. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all essentially a part of the English Football League and you have to help each other. And, and it does trickle down. I, I, there's people that, that say it doesn't, but, but it does. There's evidence there to suggest it does. Um, and less money trickling down means bigger problems for, for these football league teams. So, so that was my biggest issue, Steve. And, and, and obviously I'm not in, in England, but speaking to, to friends, family and, and former colleagues and what have you back home, Everybody said that was the biggest concern was that the Football League would really deteriorate. Um, and I, I'm, I'm so glad now it seems as though it's not going to happen because ultimately what this came down to was it, it, it came down to greed and um, self-made billionaires wanting to, I think it was James Corden who said it perfectly, it, it was them just wanting to buy another boat. <laughs> and there's, there's more, to, there's more to, to life than that. There's more to, um, there's more to this game than, than just having money. Look, money helps. Money makes the world go round. I get it. But, you know, it, it was just such, um, it would have been such a massive problem for these lower league teams. Um, and, and I was really worried at one stage. I was really worried because the game that, that I know and love, um, I, I was sitting in our apartment here in, in Minneapolis on, on um, Sunday evening, um, with my, my jaw hit the ground. And I, I, because the, we, we've never... This is the biggest football story I think we've ever seen, Steve. Yeah. Like it was such a shift in, in what people have known for, for, for 
for decades, you know, uh, and and for some people, nearly a century. You know, yeah. the English Football League, as I said, it was it was founded in in the late eighteen hundreds. So mm-hmm. the, for for this to to come about the way it did, the way it did, I I thought was was earth shattering, um, and it really could have have been um, a massive problem for so many teams. Um, so look, ultimately, I'm I'm just glad that that it's it looks as if it's not going to go ahead. My biggest concern moving forward, Steve, is I wonder will these um, incredibly wealthy individuals try something like this again? And I really, really hope not. Yeah, it, you know, one of my favorite uh, sort of uh, soccer isms that you hear all the time is is um, you know when when a defender makes makes a challenge that isn't even really going for the ball. Um, it's termed a cynical challenge. And this is, this, this in some ways, this is sort of like the epitome of cynicism. Um, because, I, you know, I found myself sitting here going like, what, what did they think was going to happen? You know, that's the thing that's the, you know, and obviously it, with it not going through, they sort of pulled back from it so quickly, which was also shocking in the sense that I'm like, didn't anyone talk to anyone about this? Like, just to see, you know, the clubs themselves, uh, coaches coming out against it, players coming out against it. Like who, like, was anybody talking to anybody before any of this happened? It doesn't seem like that was going on. And I just, there's no, I've been trying to figure out like, what is the problem they're trying to solve other than just not having enough money? And I think that maybe it really literally was just not having enough money. You know, like I've, I've, there, there are, there are things to, there are ways in which based on reading I've done, you know, and looking at different articles, people talking about it, that there are issues, you know, with, you know, EPL, right. Um, You have this dream of teams like, you know, Leicester city coming, coming up from nowhere and sort of taking the title, but you do have this problem that like those teams that were going to leave do just spend a ridiculous amount of money more um, than the other teams. And that there's really not like a realistic path for challengers, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Occasionally you get those things and that's sort of what makes it fun, but that there is that problem. There is a problem with, you know, what I've seen from La Liga with Real Madrid just being so in debt because the, the, the arms race to keep up with, with, all these other teams uh, just cost so much more. Um, but like, is this really the solution to it? It doesn't seem like it was really a way to solve that problem. There's been some interesting things talking about how it, it compares to MLS and the fact that, you know, um, some of this was driven by American owners um, and seeing that, uh, you know, team valuations for MLS are so high because there is, you know, relative to the revenue. Again, this is one of those things that's like, we're getting into the, the balance sheets, right? And so like, obviously the revenue at at a, at a club like Manchester United is is dramatically higher, but it's, it's valuation, the team's valuation doesn't exceed that revenue by the same degree that it happens in MLS because in MLS, there is no promotion and relegation. There is no chance of dropping out of out of the league completely um but there's sort of i think there was an interesting point i read in an athletic article sort of saying that you know mls was created this way because there wasn't that grassroots ability you weren't you weren't putting you weren't putting the top division on top of all these other divisions that had sort of come up 
it somewhat organically over the last hundred years. You were trying to make a top division without any any of that support. And so you needed to have owners who would invest without the threat of, of falling into nothingness, which is what was below you know, MLS when it, when it was founded. Um, you can make the argument that now MLS, uh, and obviously people do, that promotion relegation would be is something that they want in MLS. I still think, as we've said on this podcast before, I still think we're not there yet. Um, but it's weird to see another league sort of looking at that closed system and going, well, maybe that's what we should do. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, they're sort of reverse engineering something that was sort of engineered by MLS in order to make it viable. And now you have something that is basically, that is viable, but has issues and trying to like graft a solution onto it that doesn't seem to make, you know, any sense whatsoever. It was just, it was shocking to see when the announcement came out that there were just zero people who, who are thoughtful people who thought this was a good idea. <laughs> Like it was just it like like approbation across the board. Everybody was like, "This is this is when approbation, reprobation." Um, yes, like just a terrible idea. I mean, it was just a crazy thing to watch. Like I just I, you know, like I was trying to explain it to my wife, and I was like, what, "Like I, I don't know what what where they go from here with this idea." Because I have the same concern as you that like there's obviously some discontentment among you know, owners of some of these teams, that's not going to go away just because that doesn't work. Here's my basic question for you at this point. Is there, you know, they're bringing up an issue. They have an issue. And let's say that it's, it is, let's give it the benefit of the doubt that it isn't simply um, making more money, but a concern that there is a growing gap here between these ultra spending teams and teams below them, or, and then either that res- results in, you know, in La Liga, them being in tremendous debt or um, in, in EPL that there's just the, 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 the teams below the top six can't really, it's only going to get worse as time goes on. Is there any shred of something here that you're like, this could be, that there needs to be something that changes and then what would change in a way that would actually benefit soccer as a game? Do you have any sense of that? No, no doubt, Steve, that let, let's focus on the Premier League here, shall we? Okay. No doubt there are things that need to change and it's not perfect. Um, I, I know for a fact uh, the last TV rights deal with, with La Liga um, Real Madrid and Barcelona were furious that the money was was stretched as much as it was because they felt as though they are the individuals who, who bring in the majority of the revenue because of, of how big they are. And I understand that point. But in, in my opinion, if you do a TV deal, which is where the majority of the money is coming from, away from you know sponsorship uh, agreements and, and jersey sponsors and sales and what have you, um, I think if you're selling the league itself, you're not just selling Real Madrid and Barcelona. I understand where they stand in in um, in terms of uh, the league itself, but um, and the same can be said about Manchester United and Manchester City and, and Chelsea and what have you. But there's a reason why it was these six clubs that were picked to go and join this league because they are arguably the the, the bigger names at the moment. Um, but I think more than anything, Steve, as I said before, the and, and you're right that, that there are the, these teams that we've mentioned 
they do tend to spend more money um, and they because they have to consistently compete with with the others that are spending money um, and are trying to win the league. But look at what West Ham United are doing right now. West Ham are fourth. Leicester City is second, I believe, maybe third now. And that was Go the biggest it. issue with it. With it, <laughs> that was the biggest issue with it, Steve. Was that the, there's always a possibility. I, I agree with you in the sense that it, it's not common, and, and it's usually the top four are the same four teams, right? But there's always that possibility that that sometimes something can happen. And it seemed like a West Ham or a Leicester can break into the top four. And they can now start making more revenue and they can start spending more money and everything. It's, it's just always, it's, it's an open system. And that was the biggest issue. You know, if, if, um, if the, 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 the six teams were going to come back and play domestically, that wouldn't have happened because of the, the amount of money that they would have had. Nobody would have been able to compete with them. But then if they weren't going to play domestically as well, they would go into this league where nobody else matters and then how much value do we place in the Champions League as well? Right. So yeah. the, the, there were so many issues with this. But look, I, I agree with you in the sense that it, it's not perfect, the Premier League right now. It, it's not. And, and, and I hope something like this perhaps um, yields um, re-evaluation and, and makes people think about a thing or two. Um, because ultimately what we want, more than anything, uh, as as every fan in, in every sport, you just want competition and you want entertainment. Um, and um, I, I think this would have absolutely killed competition. I really do. Um, so I'm, I'm happy. I mean, you, you look at, at Major League Soccer, Steve, um, you know, in, in terms of every season, you know, no doubt there are the, the teams that <laughs> spend the money and, and they're, they're often there or thereabouts in terms of towards the top of whatever conference they play in. But, this past season, I didn't have Columbus Crew winning <laughs> winning right. MLS Cup. They're a, a Midwestern team. That okay, they spent ten million on on Jan, but apart from that, they've they've not they've not made a splash yeah. like that before, or, you know. And Philly Philly winning the Supporter Shield, you know. Like. Exactly. I, I just and that's why I like MLS. And, and and look, we've got to be careful here because it, it it is a closed system as well, Major League Soccer, and we can go into a debate. We can do our own podcast on, on that separately. But um, in, in terms of competition, I think Major League Soccer does it right in terms of, of there being a salary cap. And I'm not suggesting that, that there should be a salary cap in, in Europe, but, but maybe that's something that they consider. Um, I, I think we're too far down the line now for it to ever, yeah. <laughs> ever happen. If it was going to happen, it would have happened 10, 15 years ago. But um, I, I, I think things need to be reevaluated for sure, Steve. And I think this may very well have been the kick in the teeth that people, people may have needed. But at the end of the day, Steve, um, if your product, if you're the Premier League, if your product is value at a certain number, why would you ever do it by doing something? Um, you know, like, like, like putting a salary cap in, you know? So yeah. I, I'd be surprised if things changed, but, but maybe it's time for a, a little tweak or two here. And there. Yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously that goal is competition. And again, one of the things that MLS gets right is that, is that parody, you know, and it's, it's fun. We, t- you know, every season we're going through teams and, 
and talking about, well, you know, these are the powerhouses that 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 spend a bunch of money, and some of them are very successful spending a lot of money. Um, Atlanta United has had success that way. Obviously, LAFC have had success. LA Galaxy, one of the traditional big spenders, have not had success the last couple of years, but they've still done it. Other teams are building from their academy, FC Dallas, Philadelphia Union. Other teams build in different ways. You know, they're sort of like mixes or hybrids or, you know, uh, like Portland is a pretty good example of a team um, that has some high-level stars at the top, um, but also like robust younger players who are coming in. You know, it's there's a lot of different ways to approach it, which is kind of fun. I think that maybe um, EP, EPL is, is, is maybe in less trouble because of those stories like Leicester City coming up, West Ham doing well. Um, I mean, I remember seeing that, you know, Juventus has won Serie A for nine years in a row. Like that's, that's not really competition anymore at that point, you know? Right. But that is more than likely going to change this year though. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and hopefully there's, there's still those opportunities. I mean, I think there's, this comes up in the NBA also, you had the Cavaliers meeting the Warriors in the finals for however many years that was, that was not nine years, but it was, you know, it's, there are, there's always trying to find that sweet spot of competition and, and sort of dynasty because people also like to have these teams that are the glory teams and things like that. Um, You know, maybe there's something to the idea of, Again, but the problem is this is going to go against the money for any of these individual domestic leagues. If you skim off that top layer of teams that are, you know, your best teams and they're, and they're just like, they become a different thing. It's like England's teams that are in this other league, which is not the Super League anymore, but like are not competing domestically. Then it opens up the, the, the gates for some other domestic teams, your West Ham's, your Aston Villa's, your Leicester City's to be new power teams. But of course, then you're removing this huge chunk of revenue that's at the top end. And I don't see how the domestic leagues would be into any of that. So, I, 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 Absolutely, Steve. And, and this is the thing that I was saying earlier on as well. That was my, uh, one of my original thoughts as well. Maybe, um, maybe the likes of Aston Villa and Leicester City can be towards the now but but the more I thought about it I thought but it doesn't matter <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter because you can't with, with the Super League you, you you can't get into the Champions League now the Champions League will essentially be worthless com- compared to what Super League is and we can't get into the Super League anyway yeah. so <laughs> you know it, it was uh, look yeah. ultimately I'm just glad that that this thing has gone away um, yeah. and, and hopefully we, we can put it away in a jail cell and throw away the key and never have to talk about it again. But I, I do think, Steve, that there's got to be some sort of um, a reprimand for, for the, the six that chose to abandon tradition um, and essentially say we're more important than everybody else. I, I did a podcast last night, Steve, and, and I, I, said to, I said to the hosts, I said, um, I think what's going to happen now, actually, is there's going to be... Um, a lot more of the the so-called not important clubs, the 14 of us that were left for dead, um, I think we're going to band together, actually. And I think we're going to see... I, I can't wait for, for when supporters are, are allowed back in and it's safe. Some of the songs that are going to be sung towards the Manchester United and Chelsea fans and what have you, it's going to be great, you know? So I think, I think you know, nowadays... Um, especially in the Champions League. I, being from England, I, I always root for the English team, for sure. I'm not sure I will anymore. Um, mm. And I think those of us who support Leicester City, Aston Villa, Everton, Southampton, what have you, Fulham, I'd much rather see those teams get the better of Manchester United and Manchester City now, for sure. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I think there's going to be... I'm not sure it's going to be a permanent stain, but it's going to be a long-lasting stain 
on the reputation of those clubs in English football. And uh, I do wonder um, how long it's going to last. I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how the fans react to this. Um, I think there's going to be some funny banter over the course of the next few years. Yeah, well, Cal, it's certainly making me feel pretty good about selecting Leicester City as, as my EPL team to support that I didn't pick one of those one of those teams good that was leaving. All right, so another decision from the last week uh, that we uh, that we disagreed with that we wish would be overturned but is not is uh, a 4-0 loss to Seattle in the uh, – the season opening game for Minnesota United. Let's let, let's revisit this and some, some sort of themes we see. Obviously, it's tough because the the first game, uh, you know. <clears throat> all right, full disclosure. Uh, I got my second dose of the vaccine on uh, the day before the the season opener, and uh, I know a lot of people have taken the day off, and I would have loved to take the day off, but we had to do the season opener. So I was exhausted, uh, and I was not in the best frame of mind, and I did not feel great at the end of that game. I felt better the next day, and I try to remember that it's the first game. There's a lot of games to go. Um, I think also looking back at it, it was as, as you know, I went back and I looked at, you know, I, I read through the interviews again and everything like that. And I think as, as Adrian Heath said, you know, the game was, was tighter than the scoreline implied because really it was like at two, again, it was one of those two nil games that at that point, Minnesota United was chasing to try to get back in the game, gave up some, some, some soft, terrible goals that made it four nil. Um, but again, it was one of those things where there that first. Uh, let's start with that first Jao Paulo goal because that was just unbelievable. Like it was just a wonder goal and one of those ones where you just, as I think you've heard plenty of players and Adrian say before, you just take your hat off because what can you what can you do about a goal that beautiful? It's it's the goal of the season contender already, Steve. It doesn't touch the ground. He yeah. flicks it when it comes into him. I think it was, uh, was it Chase Gaffer or Brent Coleman or somebody who headed the ball away? I think it was Trap. It, it, was, actually Will, it was actually Will Trap, I think. Trap, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it lands into his midriff area and he, he flicks it up and, and hits it first time. It doesn't hit the ground. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's crazy. So it's so much more difficult to control it if it hasn't touched the ground yet. Um, and yeah, I, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about a goal like that, Steve. Um, I, I don't think anybody could have gotten out to him faster. I, I just think it was one of those um, those strikes that you see, you know, every so often, maybe once every couple of months around the world, you know, and, and it was glorious. It was so well hit. Um, the, the way he hit it as well, it was moving to the left and then quickly zipped into the right. So it, it was perfectly hit. It was, it was a perfect goal. Um, and it was just a shame it came against Minnesota United. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then and then shortly, you know, shortly after that, nearly had a header go into the back of the net that Christian rolled on, like dives back to clear off off the goal line. Um, you know, you had Dane's great penalty save, which again, Dane is now three for three on saving penalty shots. So like maybe no one ever scores on a penalty on Dane. That would be amazing. Um again, it's one of those things where had that goal gone in and it was, you know, one one. Uh, it, it, it could have the, the whole game. You know, at that point, it's anybody's game. It could be. It could have ended two one either way at that point. But once that second goal goes in, it was like, you know, I, I think that overall, um, it didn't. It sort of reminded me of 
some games from Minnesota United last year prior to sort of locking into that, you know, attacking four with, with, with Robin Lud up top as the false nine that sort of worked so well um, down the stretch, the last couple games of the season and into the playoffs. But there were definitely times last year where you, you saw the team be good defensively, energetic, shutting stuff down, and then just not breaking through, like not being able to get that finishing quality and then, you know, conceding, and then it sort of gets away from them. It, 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 you know, and that was a thing that, that, was, that was eventually remedied as the team came together, and it's important to remember that this is, again, the first game of the season. But did you, did you get that? Like, I was sort of like, wow, they're really energetic on defense. This is good. They're strong. They're pressing. Like, the, they're defending from the front. But they just couldn't, you know, get that first goal. And then when you can't get that first goal, when you give up a goal, then you start chasing, and you lose some of that, that cohesion that the, the team showed at first. Yeah, look, I mean, so I, I've not seen anything that Adrian has said yet. Um, I, I tend to wait until later in the week. I want to sort of gauge my own thoughts, really. Um, so it's interesting he said what, what you had, had said that he, he had uh, uttered, because um, for me, Steve, there, there wasn't too much difference in the two teams really at all. I think Minnesota were by far the better team in the opening, what, 60, 65 minutes? Yeah. Um, if you look at it from a statistical point of view, same amount of shots, Possession was, I think, 51-49 in favour of Seattle. Yeah. Passing accuracy was, accuracy was the same. It, there wasn't much difference at all. The only major difference was was that Seattle Sounders took their chances and Minnesota didn't. Um, as we've already said, the first goal was sensational. Nothing you can do about that. The second and third goal, Steve, um, Brent Kalman is trying to... to Brent Cohen is trying to, to get the ball off of the toe of, of Will Broom when it's coming into him. He's trying to, to get ahead of, of the centre forward when the ball's coming into him. He's trying to, to pick his pocket, basically. <clears throat> and obviously he mistimed it. Will Broom was able to turn him and, and subsequently able to, to play it across to, to Rui Diaz. He doesn't miss those chances. Um, and a similar situation for, for the third goal as well, um, with, with Coleman getting beaten too easily, in my opinion. And the fourth goal... Um, Metinier is, is too far up the field, loses the ball, and um, obviously makes its way to the far side. Metinier can't track back quick enough. I think he might have even still been on the ground, actually, when the ball came in. And, and again, Montero um, isn't going to miss a chance like that. So um, it, it, it was frustrating, for sure, because I don't think it's a 4-0 game, ever. I think, as you said, it's a 1-0, it's 2-1 type game. I, I think it's, the scoreline did not give a good uh, example of what the game actually was. So for me, Steve, <clears throat> I don't want to be too harsh on Brent Coleman here, but, but the, the second and third goals, uh, it didn't look good for him. But for me, when you go back and you watch it, um, the, there was an issue, uh, as you quite rightly said, that the high press was quite effective in the opening opening half, uh, which, which was surprising considering the, that, again, Robin Lourdes led the line in a, in a false nine. Um, but what happened in the second half was the Sounders played a much higher line. So Minnesota couldn't high press as much as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that was smart of Schmetzer. Um, you know, you, you play a high line to, to catch people off sides or, or, or if your centre forward hasn't, isn't blessed with pace. And, and, and that's what Minnesota had at, um, in, in Seattle. Uh, as good as Robin Lourdes is, pace is not one of his, his strengths. Um, and what that meant was, was that Minnesota were forced back so often, more often than they, than they were comfortable with. Um, because there wasn't this high press, because they couldn't, because of the high line. Um, 
and essentially what that meant was whenever they got the ball, they got the ball much deeper in their in their territory. And one individual who who got the ball a lot deeper than he than he would want was Emmanuel Reynoso. Mm-hmm. And Emmanuel Reynoso, I'm fine with him giving the ball away. I can't remember the stats from last year, but he was the player who gave the ball away the most, which is not surprising because he's the one who's always going to yeah. be creating things and trying things. So I have no problem with him giving the ball away uh, when he's in the final third of the opponent's, uh, opponent's uh, territory. I have no problem with that at all. There is an issue, though, when he gives the ball away inside Minnesota's um, final third, in the, in, in, inside our own half, essentially. Um, that's an issue because then the opponent is closer to goal. And that happened too many times. Um, and I understand they want the ball at Reynoso's feet. He's going to create something. I, I understand why, 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 they, why, why that happened. But, but ultimately, I think it was, it was a real issue for Minnesota because they were, lo- they were losing the ball much deeper than they usually do. Um, and straight away, the back line was under severe pressure. Um, and, you know, Brent Coleman is, is, is in a, a pickle straight away and, and Boxall has issues and Metinier has issues. He can't press forward as much as he wanted to. So Minnesota had the, the living daylights squeezed out of them in the end. Um, and it was, um, it was a real shame um, because I don't think the scoreline was, was evidence of, of what the game actually was. But um, look, I, I think as well, let's not forget it. It's going away to Seattle Sounders. I know they didn't have Ladero. I know Jordan Morris is injured. But also Minnesota had to adapt as well because they had injuries. Um, I don't know this for sure, but um, I, I would not be surprised if Nico Hansen was was fit. It wouldn't have surprised me if he started on that left-hand side because he, yeah. he had a great preseason. Um, the Hassani Dotson on the left-hand side thing, I don't think I don't think worked at all. Um, I thought there were moments where, where he where he was good, and I understood I understood why why he was out there again. That there were there were injuries. Um, you, you do wonder. You know, if obviously, as I said, if Hanson's fit, I think he starts out there. If Agudelo is fit to go to the 90, I wonder, does he play up top? Does Lerd go on the left? Or does Agudelo be on the left-hand side as well? You know, there's so many options. But when, they are, um, when they've got as many niggles as they have, uh, you know, Agudelo had a little tweak in his hamstring. Um, you know, you are, you are forced into certain certain situations. And as I said, I thought there were times when I thought Dotson did well when he, when he, he tucked inside. And he allowed Gasper the, the room on, on the on the overlap on the left, but um, it, it just wasn't consistent enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be surprised if we see that again. Um, and, and taking nothing away from Hassani Dotson, it's not his position. Um, and and we, we know he can play just about anywhere. He can do a job just about anywhere. But but I would be surprised if we if we see him on that left hand side again, particularly in a full two, three, one. Yeah. I think that it, it, it seemed reasonable given Hassani's success with, with the youth U S youth national team, which in which he played sort of a more advanced role on the wing um, and, you know, a good chance to give it a shot, see how it goes. Um, I, I think it was a testament to Schmetzer and Seattle, just as that, you know, people, you know, you say things like they just know how to win. Uh, they're a veteran team. They've been here before. This is what they do. Those all sort of gloss over the fact that, like, I think what you saw is that there were Minnesota mostly returned, you know, the the the, the starting eleven that got them so deep in the playoffs last year. Except, you know, they slotted Kalman in uh, because Debassi is 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 nursing an injury, and they brought Hassani on the left wing. And those were both the particular pain points that Seattle really like 
exploited. You know, in both of the, the both of those matchups, like Hassani was fine. Hassani is rarely less than than fine, but he wasn't productive. Um, and then and then Kalman obviously a couple of really bad plays from him. Um, fortunately, Minnesota has. Again, it's the thing we talked about in the preseason, an amount of depth now where I think in this early going of the season, this is also, it's, it's important to note, the Seattle game was probably the toughest game in the, the sort of opening chunk of the season leading up to that, the, the international break through the first two weeks of June. Um, opponent, I, I think that going away to Seattle is probably the toughest thing they're going to face. You know, they have to play. Dallas and and RSL and teams like that. Um, none of those teams should be overlooked, but certainly going away to Seattle is probably the toughest in single matchup. So now you have a little bit of 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 wiggle room, I think, in the sense of if somebody is not working out there. I mean, I think Adrian loves having a short leash and being able to just say, "All right, somebody else is going into that spot." And there is there is depth. I mean, there's obviously injuries to deal with, but there is depth on the team um, to be able to pull in and see who else can play some of these positions if. They're not getting what they need out of the players who are out there. Yeah, I think um, I, I know we play them later on again at, at Lumen Field, but I think it's important that let's just get that one out of the way, get Seattle away out of the way. Um, I think um, I'm interested to see now, Steve, how Minnesota play on the roads um, because going away to Seattle Sounders, with all due respect, is is much more difficult than going away to. Colorado Rapids, and, and I say that with all due respect. Um, sorry, Simon, I'm not being rude here. I'm getting a lot of texts from people because trades are being done and deals are being done as we speak. Um, <laughs> and uh, several of them, uh, well, at least one of them, involved Minnesota United. So we'll, we'll keep our, our lips sealed there for sure. But again, for those listening live, that there are deals happening. Um, and, and Adrian Heath has already spoken about this in terms of he feels as though there's going to be more activity. Um, without mentioning any names, um, these are players that are going to come in and, and instantly challenge for, for first-team spots. Um, yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because I think some of these players that have been mentioned in the past may very well alter how Minnesota play, particularly on the road as well. Um, so we'll wait and see, Steve, but, but yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see over the course of the next few weeks how Minnesota United look on the road. I think at home, Steve, that there's no problem at home. I fully expect us to beat Real Salt Lake on Saturday. Uh, and I say that with all due respect to RSL. Um, but I, I, I just fancy Minnesota against anybody at home. Um, the, the question is, is what are they going to do at the centre-forward position? Because Robin Lord again, did uh, a very good job as a false nine. Um, Ramon Avila um, obviously came on the field and, and looked okay against Seattle, but... Yeah, he hasn't played really first team minutes since mid January for Boca Juniors, um, and Juan Agudelo had a, a little a little hamstring strain as well. Um, so I don't know if, if he'll if he'll be available if he starts. He would be my first choice given the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Agudelo would be my first choice, and I feel sorry for poor old Foster Langsdorf here, who's sort of operating the shadows behind everybody because I, I wonder is he worthy of an opportunity at some stage as well. But um, I really like Foster. I really like Foster as a guy. I have to say, I don't know if everybody's listened through the the interviews that we did for Production Day. Uh, I had not gotten to interact with him at all uh, last season because of you know COVID and all that stuff. But um, actually, meeting him and talking to him, he's a really genuine, sweet, thoughtful guy. I don't, I can't speak that much to his soccer acumen because of again we haven't seen him that much. Um, I you know we haven't seen training or any, I haven't seen training or anything like that. But I just wanted to throw out there, Foster Langsdorf. Solid dude. I like him. 
<laughs> well, hopefully we see him on the field at some stage, Steve. I know, I know he made the, the cameo appearance against Dallas on the final day of the, the regular season last year. So um, I, I hope we see him at some stage. He's obviously got a goal in him. Um, and, and I know uh, Sean McCauley, the assistant manager of Minnesota United, likes him, worked with him at Portland Timbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We, we have options. Minnesota have options. But um, I am intrigued to see who starts at centre forward on Saturday against RSL. Yeah. All right. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Uh, I have a, like a bunch of a grab bag of other things that I'm just going to skip over because we've already been doing this for a while because we spend a lot of time on on the Super League. Um, let's just flash for okay. First of all, I'm going to mention this. You don't need to respond to it. I started playing MLS Fantasy again this season, which I generally I, I sort of gave up last year because it was too hard to keep track of. I went right back to my <laughs> policy of captaining Vela, and he was accidentally subbed off after 20 minutes to the <laughs> horror of anyone who put him in. So. That's all I'm going to say about that. Nothing more MLS in the first week than LAFC accidentally subbing off their best player. Um, let's skip ahead, and we're going to talk about – let's just touch on – here's what I want to end with. I want to end with some good feels. The return to Allianz Field. Mm. Um, for fans, the club was obviously there playing games last year. But it, it, when the home opener happens, there was some controversy about this count, and we got it all you know, straightened out. This weekend, it will have been 552 days since Allianz Field last had fans. That's a yeah. really long time. I was looking for, like, wars that lasted less, fewer than 552 days. Um, there are some that last, like, 45 minutes. But anyways, I did find it all about there's some wars that have apparently gone. There's a 535-year war that was between the Netherlands and the islands of Scilly off of the coast of England where no shots were fired. War was declared, like... 500 years ago and then they they had a peace treaty in 1986 anyways weird things you look up when you're dealing with this kind of stuff um it's only 4,000 fans about 4,000 fans somewhere around there and that um it seems like not a lot when you think about 20,000 fans like five times as many fans being in there um but then I remembered that probably like 4,000 people is probably the biggest crowd that I ever played to as a musician and it felt gigantic so I think that 4,000 is going to feel pretty darn good on the day how excited are you to be doing this doing your job with fans just words can't describe steve i'm beyond excited um fans are the heartbeats of the football club um and and as we've seen over the course of the last few days with the european super league um you have to listen to your fans and um I'm firmly a believer of, of no fans, no football clubs. It's as simple as that. So it's been a strange old year. Um, and for, for so many so many days, we, we would look out on on this glorious coliseum that, that we call home. Um, and, and it just didn't have any fans in it. And, and it felt really, it, uh, it's an obvious statement to make, but it felt really empty. It just felt like a house without without sort of the, the home feeling. It really did. Um, as, as amazing as the stadium is, you know, you, you need people to fill it. You do. Um, and I think, Steve, all right, there's only 4,000 people, but those 4,000 people, have, they've had some time to warm up the vocal cords. So I think, um, I think it's going to be one heck of an atmosphere. I, I really, really can't wait, Steve. It's, um, it, it really is going to be something special. I, I was um, looking up some stuff like yourself earlier this morning and, and 
I actually put something out on social media that, that the last time we actually tasted victory with fans in the stadium was that, do you remember that, that regular season game against Kansas City, September 25th, 2019, and Hassani Dotson scores in the last minute to secure postseason football for the first time. It was That's probably the last my, time. I think that was my favorite Minnesota United game of all time. So right it was, now. It was an amazing game, but, but it's, that's the last time we had a win with fans in the stadium. Like that, I mean, that, it seems like five years ago, Steve. Yeah. So I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to have fans in the stadium. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully interacting with a couple of them as well, whether it's in the stadium or in the pub after or whatever, you know, whatever we're, we're allowed to do safely. I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really excited, Steve. I, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say over the last year, you know, like it, watching from a distance and then, you know, coming to Allianz field to cover games when they were, when we were there without fans, um, you know, anybody who's considering getting into sports, um, not as an athlete, but as working in sports, you know, the, the, the way that we have, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun job. There's a lot of, of fringe benefits that come along, uh, with, with, with doing this kind of work, uh, because of those fringe benefits, you're not always compensated in every position as much as you'd like. You often have to work nights, you know, weekends. Uh, it's not the most difficult job. I mean, there's a lot of harder jobs out here than talking about sports. But without the experience of being in the stadium with the fans, it's kind of a garbage job. <laughs> like, I gotta be honest. It's like, 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 that's the thing. That's the thing that every week, like you're doing all this other stuff. Like the, the job involves a lot of, of research, of meetings, of, you know, for me, copy editing stuff, you know, like I have my hands on, on every sort of bit of copy that comes through the organization from signage in the stadiums to, um, you know, emails that go out to fans to press releases to like, like I'm working on all that stuff and it's engaging. And uh, there's a lot that I, I enjoy about that element of it, but it's sort of like every week, it's like, you're going for that moment of being in the stadium and being there for the game itself. And when you don't get that, you've lost like the best element of the job. So I am super excited <laughs> to just be back there and, and sort of be in the moment because that's kind of like, that's what, that's what you do the job for, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, look, let's make no mistake. We, we are extremely privileged to, to be doing what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, not, not saying we haven't worked hard to get where, where we are, but um it is an honor, isn't it, really, to, to be able to do what we do. And, and, and <laughs> the fact that we talk about football for a living and we get paid for it, you know, <laughs> it, 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 when you really think about it, it's, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? So yeah. um, we're very fortunate. Um, and there are thousands and thousands of people in the queue, in the line behind us, Steve, who would happily do our jobs as well. So I think that's important to remember that we're, we are very lucky to be doing what we're doing. Um, and um, we've been very lucky over the course of the last what year during during the pandemic and when things finally settled down and we could actually have games at Allianz Fields you know it it didn't really dawn on me in, until I, I bumped into one or two um supporters at a um somewhere in a park or somewhere a while ago and mm -hmm. and, and they had said yeah you know we, we can't wait to get back to the stadium and and, and you know that you could tell that obviously they they missed the place but we obviously had the absence of the fans clear for for us to see but we didn't have that. It was almost like a gaping gap in our heart, really, because we right. we were at Allianz Field. We, we we 
been there several times. Um, and although the experience was, was nothing compared to what it will be when the fans return, we've still been in the stadium. Um, and, and I just, I can't wait for the supporters to get into the stadium. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be this humongous collective sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, Steve, at one stage, we, we, we weren't sure we'd ever see this ever again. Like, we had no idea what COVID-19 was going to look like a year ago. We had no idea. And, and there were suggestions that, you know, this thing could be around for a very long time. It's been around long enough, but there were suggestions it could have been around for several years. Um, so we didn't know when this day would come. And, and, you know, I guess all we can say at this moment is, is a massive thank you to the frontline workers and, and, and all those in the healthcare industry who have, have put themselves at risk um, and, and made days like today possible. Because without them, it wouldn't be possible. And, um, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't hide my excitement, Steve. I, I've been um, preparing for this game and, 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 and have tried to sort of be as calm as I can and, and prepare like any other game. but but it's been very difficult. I can't. I'm, I'm so, <laughs> so unbelievably giddy and excited, Steve. So I don't know if I'll get much sleep on Friday evening. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited for Saturday. If I could click my fingers and Saturday were to be here, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad at all. I, I, um, it, it's going to be a little like the second inaugural home opener I feel like I remember those feelings of of that game against NYCFC and sort of just like I don't know exactly what's going to happen but I'm really excited for it and I think that there's there's going to be some of those vibes hopefully it's not a 3-3 game that's all I have to say about that (laughs) Um, (laughs) all right thanks for joining us for the 139th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Venturis. Apologies as always to, oh, okay. I was going to, I was wondering about this because I was listening to something and somebody said Ricard, uh, Ricard Wagner, like, like I guess in, in Germany, he's Ricard, not Richard. So, but I'm going to stick with Richard because I can't even hardly remember how to pronounce Wagner every week. Apologies <laughs> as always to Richard Wagner. And remember, There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.